Acts chapter 9, looking at verse 31, I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It says this, Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now, as Peter went here and there among all the believers, he came down also to the saints living in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to them, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which is in the Greek Dorcas. She was devoted to God, to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men with him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. I love the launch of, of this section here. It's actually, this is a transition statement um, in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 starts with the story of Saul. He was, he was a man that was going around and he was persecuting the church and he thought he was doing it out of this zeal and devotion to God because he saw the church as, as this wildly uh, immoral movement that was an affront to who God was and, and the Jewish people. And so as he was persecuting the church, God gets a hold of him and, and then he becomes a member of the church and they're trying to figure out, like, you were trying to kill us and now you're a member. And then, like, there's somehow peace that's amongst them. And then, so this is this transition statement. So meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And I love that this is the transition statement to, to two stories, one where a man in the church is paralyzed and another in which amongst a community of widows, one of their beloved members or one of the people that was serving them dies. And, and, and I love the tension and the interplay here because you, you have is this, this statement, like there was peace and they were built up and there's the comfort of the Holy Spirit and here's a paralyzed man and a dead woman. And you realize that what's happening here is that all of a sudden, as you look at that, you realize, man, what it means to be comforted by the Holy Spirit is so much deeper and more dynamic than I realize. Because as, as, as Luke is writing about the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the next thing that he talks is about is a paralyzed person and a dead person. And that doesn't negate that the comfort of the Holy Spirit was seen amongst the body of believers. 
Can we, you know, let's, start, let's start with this as, as we talk about this. I find this, again, to be an incredible understanding of what it means to experience comfort from the Holy Spirit. And interestingly enough, it starts with the fear of the Lord. And again, you see this tension, this weird contrast at play, that the church is, is, has fear and comfort. And rather than those see, be, being seen as, as in opposition with one another, Luke writes it as if these are two things that complement one another. That the church had the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And in his mind, that makes absolute, complete sense. So really, really briefly, what is, as we talk about and think about the fear of the Lord, what, what is he likely reflecting on. There's this incredible book called Rejoice and Tremble by Michael Reeves uh, that talks about the fear of the Lord, and this is one of the definitions that he gives. It says, the grandeur of God pulls our focus up and away from ourselves. We wonder at a being greater than us. We therefore diminish. His magnificence, his magnificence distracts us and woos us from our daily self-obsession. We develop a taste for something other than ourselves. At the same time, our thoughts are lifted and cleansed as we consider one who is greater and purer than us. This, this, this space of them having the fear of the Lord is the space of saying they have this grand picture of God. They, they have this picture of God that is filled with awe and mystery. It is this picture of God that says, we don't have you all figured out. You are greater than anything we could have thought or imagined or dreamed of. And when we stand before you or when we stop and consider you, we tremble. We quake because we look at you and say, my goodness, you are nothing like me. You are wonderful and awesome in your goodness, in your holiness, in your power, in your, in your love. And that frightens me because I have never come across something so pure and delightful. That's... that's trying to capture an understanding of the fear of the Lord. And so if that understanding, then it makes sense that no matter what the church is navigating, you can have comfort. No matter what you're, you're facing, you can have peace. See, the other kind of fear is this place where everything else is bigger in your eyes. The problem is ahead of you things that you're walking through, those are more powerful. That's when we begin to live in fear. But the fear of the Lord is something totally different. It's this place of understanding that everything else trembles before you, God. Everything else shakes before you. And so that's why we can have a paralyzed man and dead woman and have peace and experience the comfort and goodness of God amongst us. Because there, even there, we can experience the greatness of who you are.
See, comfort doesn't negate the presence of problems. This shows the incredible power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us amidst the most intense of problems. And so there's these two, two stories at play. Let's talk about God the Comforter. God finds, the next two stories right after this, this sentence here, is that God finds a paralyzed man living in a hidden corner of the world, and God breathes life into a community of widows who are devastated after walking through loss once again. That this is where the comfort of God arrives, amongst these two stories. These stories highlight the incredibly, the incredibly gentle and loving heart of our Father. In these stories, we specifically see God bringing relief and comfort to the church through these acts of healing. He sees the pain of the church and he comforts them. A paralyzed man bedridden for eight years. And what that means is that he wasn't born paralyzed, that some really big tragedy has come upon him. And then we read these words here in the book of Acts, right? Peter's amongst the believers in Lydda, and he found a man named Aeneas. He found him. You think about the dynamics of, of Aeneas's life. To be paralyzed and bedridden means that he's now living in a hidden corner of the world. He doesn't get the social play that we get to experience week to week. As the church gathers together, he's bedridden. Again, he lives in, in the corner of, of society. I don't let you, like, I get stir crazy if I'm left alone too long. There's these times that, that play out, you know, maybe Larissa's going to go visit family and I need to stay back because of just kind of work dynamics that are at play. And, you know, there's been these times where she's taken the boys to go visit family and I'm, I'm left home for like a week or 10 days. And the first day is like great, right? Like the first day it's like I'm, I'm watching sports 24-7. I'm, I'm eating wild, like Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm I'm having a quarter pounder with cheese because I haven't had that in like 10 years. I'm just like, this is amazing. And I'm having, you know, chocolate ice cream for breakfast. Yeah. I... <laughs> and we, we all have that, right? We all have this, this space where we're just like, it would be great to just get away and be alone for a while by myself. But then about like day three or four, you know, oh, I kind of miss my family. <laughs> like you're kind of reminded like, oh yeah, I like they're fun to be around. I really love them, right? Like, yeah, I would like to have them back in my life. This man's bedridden for eight years. Right? That's, that's a unique kind of removal from life. That is a, a unique kind of isolation that's playing out in Aeneas's life. And, and God finds him. 
Now, now listen, as, as I say that, what I want to make sure that I, that I point out here, because I think it's absolutely worth noting, is that before Aeneas is healed, he's already amongst the body of believers. And why is that so important to, find, to, to, to make sure that we point out here and discuss here is because, listen, Aeneas is already, while he is bedridden and while he is paralyzed, is already experiencing the comfort and peace of God while he's in this place of isolation, while he's in his bed and removed from, from the majority of society, he has already found hope in Jesus. Because I think it's important to say that because, it, listen, our God is greater than only being able to provide comfort through a miraculous act of healing. That he can also bring great comfort and peace as we are still in that point of pain. He is considered, and what's really just great and dynamic here is that as Luke tells this story, he talks about the saints, and he doesn't use this word very often. As he talks about the saints, and, and Aeneas being one of them, listen to this definition of saints um, from Willie Jennings and his commentary on the book of Acts. He says, this word saints means holy or sacred one. Saints are those marked by the new gestures of belief in Jesus. They worship a crucified Lord in the spirit, and in the spirit they live the every day knowing that each moment has been made sacred by God's faithful presence. Peter travels from the saints to the saints inside the inescapability of a God who is making people new. All that to say, listen, even before Aeneas gets up and makes his bed and walks, he's already a saint. And he's already experiencing the comfort and goodness of God. But it's also the case that Aeneas is incapable of going out and finding God. So God shines a light on Aeneas, and Peter finds him. And it is this statement to us that in our places of being unable to make it to God, God makes his way to us. It is this powerful statement to us that God loves finding fragile creatures. He is drawn to those who are removed from society. He lifts up the weak. He embraces and holds those whose lives are hidden. It's just the statement to us, like, God sees you. He knows where to find you. He knows where you're at. He sees you and he delights in you. I want, I want to try this practice. It's going to feel funky to some of you. Maybe it's going to feel funky to all of you. I don't know, but I want to try it. I, it, I got to do this um, about a month or so ago. I was on this, this call with um, this guy that was, his, his whole thing is joy-filled discipleship, which I just love that. Um, and that, that our formation happens through delight. That, that the most effective way for, for formation to happen in our lives is to discover a context in which we know we are delighted in and we are enjoyed. 
And so our attachment to God is one of the most crucial things that, that plays out over the course of our life, that we have this, this loving attachment to God that we know that he, he, he loves us and he delights in us and, it, and it, the countenance of his face shines upon us. And so because of that kind of attachment and because of the kind of joy and delight that happens, it's like, it's like now we become like the one that we behold. Okay, so that's somewhat of an intro to, to what I'm going to have us do here. What I want you to do for the next 30 seconds is I want you right now in your mind to picture the face of someone. It could be a friend, it could be a child, it could be a coworker, it could be a spouse, it could be a parent that just delights in you. Think about the face of someone that like it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you're doing in life, like it doesn't, like you just know, maybe it's that person that you could just call and they would just like, oh, it's so good to hear your voice. Like think of that person right now Picture, picture their face delighting in you. Just right now, you close your eyes for 30 seconds. Picture that face. Can anyone tell me what, experientially what happened in your body? Would anyone, be, like actually right now, would anyone be willing to share, like what, what did you experience? What happened as you just imagined that, that face? Yeah. You're more relaxed. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else have that same kind of feeling? Like kind of just like the tension and everything just kind of went away? Anyone have like a lightness in their chest kind of just happened as you pictured that, that person's face? Anyone else? What did, someone else tell me what you experienced as we did that. You felt wholeness. Yeah, it was just like good. Like that was like kind of like the, the vitality of like life and yeah. Anyone else? One more, one more. You just felt delight and love? Yeah. Yeah, why, why do that practice? Again, listen. God delights in you. He finds you. And, and, and the work of the Holy Spirit, what's happening here in verse 31, right? What, what is the, the work of the Holy Spirit? What is he doing amongst the body of believers? Is that he's comforting the church. The other word here, some of your, the translations that you might be looking in your Bible, instead of comfort, it might be encourage. Or maybe a, a, another translation that you might be seeing is exhorted. And, and, and the work of the Holy Spirit is, is, is to get into the, the DNA of who we are and to just to, like, to encourage you and to build you up and to exhort you and exhort us. Like the work of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside us and just like, I love you. 
and I'm with you. I'm the one that's giving you life. I'm empowering you. And so everything that we do, every, 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 every interaction that we have, every relationship that we have, just, just as we go about in our own lives, it's this place of understanding that the Holy Spirit is, 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 is longing to constantly be with us and comfort us and encourage us and empower us. And so that we just might learn to sit and have a different understanding that God is longing to, to partner with you and to be with you in all that you do and all that you face. I just love, and the words are just so, just so powerful for me. Just like Peter found Aeneas. And what's, what's, what's great and what takes place in, this, in the story is that, is that then Peter tells him, get up and make your bed. Get up and make your bed. And, and one of the things that you'll find at play over the story of, of the Gospels and over Scripture is that so often is, is that when God heals someone that he now also endows them with a new ability to do and to serve. That, that, he, that he anoints them and he gifts them in a new way to actually get up and, and do get up and, and go and work. And, and I know that might create kind of some tension within us because, listen, we, we make sure to, to, to acknowledge like it, that we are saved by grace. It wasn't by works that we are in right standing with God. And so as we talk about that the, the, the Holy Spirit empowers us to go out and do good works, what we're not, what I want to just make sure to absolutely emphasize is that not, is not me saying that in order to be saved, you have to go out and do good works. That is not the statement. But one of the things that maybe even kind of challenges us a bit as you look over this passage specifically is that you'll find that, 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 that Aeneas is healed and then he's told to get up and make his bed. And the thing that when you look at the story of Tabitha, the way that she's commended to us is that she was a woman that did good works and acts of charity. And the story right after this in Acts chapter 10 is that we come across a Roman officer and the way that he's commended to us is that he regularly did acts of charity and prayed regularly. And so what you find, again, looking at this, this here in, in, in in this transition kind of statement, is the church is built up and the church is encouraged and empowered. And it's, it's this place of understanding, like, listen, we didn't earn our resurrection. We didn't earn this new life that we have, but the reality is you have been given a new life. You have been empowered. That the Holy Spirit is now alive and active within your being. Partner with him. Partner with him. And for us, for some of us in the space, that might be a little bit challenging to, to, to stop and, and, and to wrestle with. But the reality is, is that as the Holy Spirit, this gift of grace that we didn't earn, God finds us and God heals us. And in this new life that we have, he's saying, all right, 
let's get up and go. Let's get up and do. Let's get up and serve. Let's go out and bless. Like I've, 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 I've given you this new life. I would love to participate with you in, in living out a new life. I'd love to empower you and comfort you and encourage you to now get up. To now get up and serve and bless. Let me... Let me um, talk about Tabitha just for, for a quick moment. Tabitha means the world to her community. Tabitha, you get this, this picture of, of this woman who, who just loves people so well. You, you get this picture of of someone that, you, there's this Bill Withers song. Anyone else like Bill Withers? I love Bill Withers. Um, he has this song called Grandma's Hands. Um, and I'm not gonna try to sing it. There's no way I can sing like Bill Withers. He says, Grandma's hands clapped in church on Sunday morning. Grandma's hands played a tambourine so well. Grandma's hands used to hand me pieces of candy. Piece, Grandma's hands picked me up each time I fell. He says, if I get to heaven, I'll look for grandma's hands. I just, one point of application, I guess, for this week is go listen to Bill Withers and his song, Grandma's Hands. <laughs> when, when Tabitha dies, it's a community of widows that are absolutely devastated. And when you think about it, it's a community of people, and Dana even just reflected on it for a quick moment this morning, is just like they've experienced deep and devastating loss. Their, their husbands have, have died. They found life and community with one another under the banner of Jesus. And this person that has been caring for them and providing for them, putting clothes over their back, now dies. It's grief on top of grief. And being a widow also leaves them incredibly vulnerable in the society at, at play. And, and so that's, that's the context that's here. This is deep sorrow. This is deep pain. This is people that have, have seen tragedy upon tragedy. And, and I love that it's, it's in plural here, that, like, that they show up with tunics. They show up with, with an assortment of clothing. Again, that's what they're holding up in front of Peter. Like, it meant their grief. It's like they're, they're, they're holding up their jackets and just saying, like, and, and it's something as if these jackets, as, as, as seeing the jackets, it's like as seeing, like, like the, the, like the quality of them would somehow, even just by seeing them, would, would express to Peter, like, like these are a tangible expression of Tabitha's love. Like, look at them. 
Look how great they are. Look how much love and care were put, in, put into this tunic. Like, like, just like holding up in front of Peter, just like, are you kidding me? Like, do you see the quality of her work? Like, she just, it wasn't just, she just kind of sewed something together and just said, here you go. But you could see the depth of her love for us just by looking at the jacket that she made. And what I also love that's, that's, that's at play here is that it's almost like Luke is confused about what her name is. Because it will say, like, Tabitha was doing this, and then Dorcas died, and then Tabitha's hand was, was lifted up. And it's like, well, what's her name, Luke? Why, why do you keep going back and forth here? But he gives us a little bit of insight. Tabitha, and in the Greek, her name is Dorcas. And why is that so important to point out? It's because she's multicultural. She's known amongst the Jewish widows, and she's known amongst the Greek widows. She's known amongst amongst the, the, the wide breadth of the body of believers, that this isn't someone that didn't have any kind of prejudice in her loving or her serving. This is someone that just loved deeply. And I love, I love, I, I just so dig the difference between Peter's approach with Aeneas and Peter's approach here with Tabitha. that for Aeneas, probably a man who's been so frustrated that he hasn't been able to get up, a man that has probably felt so discouraged that he hasn't been able to, to serve and to laugh with others, like through play and, 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 and work. Like for him, he says, get up. You can make your bed now. But for Tabitha, he speaks to her, and then it says, he grabs her hand and he lifts her up. And it's like this expression of this woman who has poured out her life on behalf of everyone else. And with great delicacy and power, like Peter picks her up. It's like this, this statement that just like, Tabitha, it's your turn to be served now. Tabitha, it's your turn to be cared for. I, I just see it as this, this, this wonderfully like, delicate and encouraging voice from God that says, like, I have seen the way that you've cared for others. Yeah, I've, I've taken notice. I've, I've seen the way that you've poured out your life on behalf of other people. I've, I've seen the way that you've given of yourself. And now I'm here to lift you up. Now I'm here to pick you up. I, 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 I read the story and I immediately think of, of Jesus' words to, to his followers, right? He says this, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom of heaven prepared for you from the creation of the world. What you have done to the least of these, you've done to me. And it's just this, this incredibly intimate understanding that, that God is so involved in our acts of service. 
It's like he is so honored and delighted and blessed when we care for others. And that's what he breathes life into. It's not that Tabitha earned her resurrection. No, it's the fact that God comes alongside of those who are pouring themselves out on behalf of others. He breathes new life into us as we continue to pour out our life for others. He's the one that will always sustain us. His Holy Spirit will always be the one that comforts and encourages and exhorts us to keep on serving and blessing others. If you would stand with me. I think about this verse in 2 Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Beloved, do not grow weary in doing good. God sees you God delights in you. And he's longing to continue to pour out his spirit upon those that are just saying, I'm here and I'm available. Right? I mean, it's just, let's just boil it to being that simple. Like, maybe the commitment from this morning is just to stand before the Lord and say, God, I'm yours. And, and I long to see your spirit empower me to love you and love others. And so let me pray for us. Father, I pray that even right now that you would encourage the discouraged. Father, for any in this space that feel stretched really thin, for any in this space that, that have just run out of run out of gas for those that are in this space that just don't, they feel like they have nothing left. For those in the space that feel isolated, for those that are navigating difficult spaces and seasons of life, I pray that you would encourage and comfort and empower your church this morning. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you might descend upon us and breathe new life into Father, would you please gift your church, even right now, an experience and an awareness of your presence? Would you speak to each person that's here in this room? For those that are watching online, would you speak a word over them? Letting them know that you see them, that you delight in them, that you love them, and that you're empowering them. have a bigger picture of who you are. May we be a people that, that, that live our lives with awe and wonder. <laughs> Would we be a people that are wrapped up in the mystery and in the glory and majesty of who you are? Would we, would we be a people that just enjoy your presence 
And as we continue to get a greater and greater glimpse of who you are, and as we're comforted by, by an understanding and awareness and experience of your presence here amongst us, Lord, that then we would go out and comfort those with the comfort that we've received. Jesus, bless your church, I pray. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Church, what a joy to be gathered here uh, with you this morning. Um, if we can have that slide back up from the very front end of just a reminder of the things that are taking place in the life of our community, we'll keep that up there. And I also want you to know that we'll have people available to pray for you. If you'd like, they'll be right here on the front of the stage. Um, if there's anything that you would want to chat with me about, I'll also be here up front um, in front of the stage here. and um, Just create space kind of carve out some time for us to be able to chat and connect uh, with one another. I, I, would, I would love to have the opportunity to connect with you this morning. Church, before you go, you hear this again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Love you, church. We'll see you downstairs in the courtyard or up front here at the stage. Which one was it that had all the P's? Which song had all the P's in it? 